healthcare architecture is always adapting because it's an evidence-based design practice. We use the latest research that comes out of medical research and, um, and incorporate that into our design work. So I'm sure that as we have more research on COVID-19 and infection control practices that are working, we'll be able to then put that into practice. Welcome to the Doyen Interviews with me, Bridget Nathan. This is the podcast that speaks to inspiring women from the art, architecture and design world. Illustrated by Grace Yeo and accompanied by beautiful music from Anon. Thanks guys, I'm glad you've tuned in. The Doyen Interviews acknowledges the traditional owners of the land in which we're recording and recognises their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thanks also to Coolon LED Lighting for jumping on board as our first sponsor for this mini season. It's been great to work with you. Um, head over on to Coolon's website to have a look at the architectural lighting solutions that they're proposing. Thanks Coolon, we really appreciate your support. Okay, so hello and welcome to the next two guests of the Doyen Interviews podcast. This episode we're chatting to Tanya and Kath who both work at Clark Hopkins Clark. It's pretty interesting to think about healthcare at the moment and what's going on in that sector with COVID-19. So thanks guys, if you could introduce yourself that would be great. Um, my name is Tanya Banagala. I'm an architect at Clark Hopkins Clark working in the health sector. Um, yeah. And I'm Kath Milbach. I'm a partner and architect at Clark Hopkins Clark Architects, again, working within the health sector team. And how are you both feeling at the moment with everything that's going on? Um, it's an interesting situation to be in. So we're working from home and at least at our work, it sort of caught us a little bit off guard, as I'm sure it has for a lot of companies. Um, but working from home is quite lonely for me I I'm a big chatter I'm sure that Kath will confirm I sit next to her <laughs> and I don't stop talking all day oh, you do um, occasionally. yeah every now and then <laughs> <laughs> um I'm really missing the collaborative environment that we have but on the other hand there's some good opportunity to work on my own soft skills um yeah, so I'm trying to see the positive as well as, um, you know, trying to adapt to our current situation. It's been interesting. Like it's, I think we're at the end of week seven of having our team work from home. So we transitioned 140 people from office-based work to working from home pretty much overnight. Um, and there were probably two weeks of teething, but I think most of us have settled into a, a reasonable routine. There are the challenges Tanya's talking about um, in terms of collaboration, but we're getting better at the technology to do that. Yeah. And I guess the other thing that's been the curveball is then the first couple of weeks we were doing that with school holidays, but then homeschooling started. So people are working probably more flexibly in their hours now than they had been if they're trying to juggle supporting children with their educational activities as well as work. So we're all having to be, I guess, more flexible and adaptable. But it has really shown us the value that you can get from enabling people to work from home in a more focused environment for key activities. I think that's been a really great lesson learned, particularly for some of the older members of our team who 
were a bit resistant to the idea of having members of their team working from home. So I think it's challenging, but there are some pretty good upsides to it as well that will stand us in good stead moving into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And could you introduce a little bit about your practice? Um, So our practice is approximately 60 years old and we work across a lot of sectors, um, education, mixed use, uh, multi-residential, seniors living and care, the sector formerly known as aged care, uh, and health. We also have specialist areas in in urban design and interior design. The health team, we've got a team um, that works across a wide variety of projects in the health space, working for uh, key health providers around Victoria. We've done a lot of work in mental health and community health, but at the moment our focus has more been on redevelopment work and refurbishment projects at our busy operational campuses. So at the moment we're working with Royal Melbourne, um, Austin Health, um, Alfred Health and Golden Valley Health on projects that will transform uh, significant areas of facilities and care opportunities that they've got. Um, Our team is also fortunate in that we have a clinical health planner embedded within our team rather than bringing in a consultant per project. So Kath Lewin is able to provide us with a lot of support and advice on a day-to-day basis on projects where we're specifically engaged to provide clinical health planning, but also those projects where we just want a sanity check or a quick discussion about the clinical requirements for the facilities we're working on and when it's... uh, particularly when we need translation of the information and advice that we've been given by the clinicians at the hospitals we're working with. And have you seen healthcare changing a lot um, over the period that you've both been at Clark Hopkins Clark? Healthcare is always changing, I think. Um, we've personally have been working in healthcare since about 2005 and there have been a few key drivers. One of those has been around the way um, medical records are managed and so on those early projects we were doing, we were still doing really big medical records rooms where now the focus is about how do you make the records portable, transferable and, you know, accessible at the bedside. So there's a lot more to focus on having computers on wheels and mobile devices and stand-up workspaces. And the other thing that's changing too is, I guess, the hierarchy of care. So there, there's a move away from very traditional staff bases with, within clinical environments to a more collaborative space. Um, they're referred to as staff hubs rather than bases. Uh, the emphasis is on getting staff out to where the patients are and spending their time at the bedside as much as possible. Um, so that, that's a really big change. Um, and even just the access of um, information and tracking of equipment um, and processes, um, and I'm sure it's going to impact even further on uh, infection control in your infectious diseases area as well. So it'd be interesting to see what's going to happen there. Have any of the projects you've been working on been affected in terms of their planning or is it more of um, something that will be a consequence in the future? On a very short-term basis, Bridget, we have had to incorporate um, a bit of, we have to be a little bit flexible in the delivery of our current projects. Of course, we need as many um, rooms operable as, poss- as we could have possible. Um, when we had early forecasts of really high numbers of COVID cases, um, and so a lot of our projects 
uh, went into 24-hour build programs and um, planning to make sure that we had the resources available for um, clinicians to use. Um, now that we're kind of on the tail end of the curve, we're probably going to start having discussions about how we can um, make sure that there's better infection control um, not that we have bad infection control in Australia. We're actually quite good at that sort of thing. Um, and how mechanical ventilation systems can work to allow the flexibility of space so we can um, convert traditional rooms into um, infectious control units and things like that in future. It's really interesting, Bridget. There's also questions starting to be asked about, you know, what, do, and these are coming from healthcare providing organisations, what do their administration facilities look like? We've been all working in open plan offices um, quite closely together and they're starting to ask questions about whether that's what they need now because, I mean, if we look at most offices around, um, there are plans in place to have, you know, only 50% of the workforce in an office at a time to achieve the lower densities that the government is asking for. So that's sort of having an impact as well, people trying to work out how they can quickly adapt to um, be ready for workforce returning to work and giving everyone a safe workplace to be in so that they're meeting their duty of care requirements but also putting their team at ease knowing that things are in place to try and protect their health and safety over this period. And in what way is um, healthcare architecture adapting um, generally speaking? Healthcare architecture is always adapting because it's an evidence-based design practice. We use the latest research that comes out of medical research and um, and incorporate that into our design work. So I'm sure that as we have more research on COVID-19 and infection control practices that are working, we'll be able to then put that into practice in, in architecture. Yeah, adaption in healthcare, I mean, it's always happening. Like if you walk onto any major hospital campus in Melbourne and even around regionally in the state, there's always changes happening. There's always some level of capital project going on. And often that is actually pulling out existing facilities and redeveloping them to suit new models of care. So that can be as simple as there. Um, a lot of regional and rural hospitals in Victoria have aged care facilities. And so there's been a steady program of work even for in those parts of hospital campuses converting from um, shared bathrooms to private en-suites, rooms of up to four residents sharing a bedroom to all private rooms. Like there's this constant change, but a lot of that's happening where the, you'll get parts of that existing building completely gutted and refurbed and extensions. Like we're always adapting facilities, but the budgets mean that we can end up um, reusing as much of the existing building fabric as we can and there's a lot of time spent in feasibility looking at the potential to reuse what's there and adapt it to the future need. The other part of adaption that's going on has been this really key trend towards involving the family in the care of the patient. So um, this was something that was done really successfully at the Royal Children's in the way that they designed each of those patient bedrooms to have a pull-out couch so that parents can stay and be with their children around the clock and involved in their care. But 
a lot of the discussions around COVID-19 have really had to challenge that. And I mean, most of us would have seen coverage in the newspaper about families not being able to be with loved ones when they're critically ill and often in a palliative care phase of their treatment. Um, So I think COVID-19 has really challenged us to think about how we can do those things in a really uh, difficult environment where much higher clinical standards are required, but families emotionally and psychologically still need that closeness and how do you enable that? It's a really difficult question that I think is one health is going to have to look at and try and work out a strategy for into the future. Yeah, I think we're also seeing the emergence of a new typology in healthcare with the medi-hospital, medi-hotel type um, buildings that are coming out in, or at the moment being built in Perth. So it's something like a halfway house or a transitionary environment where community and family can be more involved in the care of of a patient um, who might not need very urgent care but does need to be in a monitored situation. Um, that's really interesting and I hope that that um, continues to develop, especially um, post-COVID. Interested to know a bit more about the design drivers behind designing healthcare facilities. Um, there's obviously a lot of infrastructure and a lot of um, technical needs to be um, included, but... Um, yeah, there also is that. There are also the architectural aims um, and the beauty to be achieved. Um, what are some of the ways that you work to create really amazing um, architecturally designed environments? So I think the thing that drives a lot of what we do is supporting. There are essentially three key user groups within a health facility. You've got your patients, you've got your staff, both clinical and support staff, and you've got visitors. And it's about providing those three groups with a richness of experience but also the space and facilities that they need to actually support healthcare and recovery, whether it's as an individual recovering or people supporting them in their recovery. So one of the things we're very focused on is an approaches around biophilia and salutogenic design. So in its simplest looking at it, that ensuring that spaces have good light, um, access to external views and nature, um, trying to make sure that they're not too clinical. But it, that needs to sit alongside having facilities that provide all of the technical and clinical capability. Um, we've, this is something we looked at very much in the development of an intensive care unit for St John of God Hospital in Geelong where you need to balance the clinical need to have, you know, big clinical spaces to look after the care requirements of each of those patients and how do you do that to provide the supervision but also the privacy and I guess a sense of time moving and passing. So there's a lot of high-level windows within that facility so that patients lying in their beds can actually see the sky. They can see the changes of the light coming through across the day. They can see clouds moving across and get a sense of what the weather is like outside. So not feeling like you're completely isolated and having a connection to time passing actually aids recovery because it starts to deal with um, 
the confusion that can happen within an ICU ward um, for the patient. So I guess what we're trying to do is improve um, care and to support people at their most challenging times um, is the key driver. And one of the ways you do that is by making it a space that people relate to and feel comfortable in. And Tanya, um, being a more recently registered architect, what's been your experience of working on um, the architecture of healthcare? Um, I find it very rewarding compared to working in other industries because you are essentially helping somebody in their weakest moments. Um, a lot of what we do when we think about the the patient as user, so not only are we designing a workplace, and it is a workplace, people forget that, um, but when we think about the patient, we're trying to provide them with some level of um, psychological control. So, you know, even giving somebody something like a light switch that's easily accessible or remote controls that can give people the illusion of control at a time when they feel very out of control. Um, I find a, a lot of what we're doing is thinking about, you, you really have to think about what the patient is going through. Um, and that's quite difficult for somebody who hasn't got a clinical background myself, like we're architects. And that's um, why it's so important for us to have a clinician on our team or a clinical health planner um, who's able to really describe the experiences people are having when they're in our spaces. Um, I think it makes our space our work so much richer that we have that background. And how did you both get into this um, type of design? We were actually talking about this earlier this week. Um, yeah. <laughs> we had a review. Um, my mum was diagnosed with cancer when I was doing my bachelor's degree and it was quite jarring actually. I would be in class all day and be learning about these incredible spaces and how good design can improve people's lives and improve patient recovery times and things like that. But then in the evenings going to visit my mum in hospital, the space that we were in was was the complete opposite of what I had been taught about. So that's how I kind of fell into it. It was very, um, yeah, very personal for me. And look, for me it was a, a similar sort of experience but except that I came to healthcare design via aged care and seniors living design, which was um, – again, inspired by family experience that both my grandmothers were in aged care facilities, um, a very um, varied experience, but just seeing the spaces they were in and this was at a time where you'd have shared rooms with a curtain, so it was halfway between um, an aged care facility and a hospital environment and just wanting to, I guess, try and make a difference to people, whether it's the resident or the patient or the the staff working in those challenging environments and the families visiting them was sort of how I got there. And working in aged care residential facilities sort of led me into uh, residential mental health and here I am now in healthcare. So it's been sort of an evolution of direction, I guess. But all with a similar purpose in that you're trying to help people. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess if you'd asked me 
university, whether I would have been working on hospitals, I would have said no. There was no yeah, me too. <laughs> what are your thoughts for the future? Is it, um, do you think you'll stay in this type of building design? Um, yes, because I find it so challenging and that's, I guess, part of the reward is that it's such a fine balance trying to um, address infection control or H&S, clinical um, purposes, but then also trying to make an environment that is not clinical or doesn't seem clinical and jarring to a patient. It's a huge challenge. Um, And then also coordinating with a, a multidisciplinary team and often with health facilities, the architect is the lead consultant, but we really have to take into account um, mechanical systems and um, that sort of thing and cl- and clinical perspectives. Um, it's much more collaborative, I feel, than work I've done in the past. I definitely would stay in healthcare into the future. I really I enjoy the challenge of um, healthcare. As Tanya said, there's so many parts to bring together, but it it's sort of in some ways like it one of the best challenges because you get to be really technically focused and detail focused but then also think about the bigger picture um, in a design sense as well when you come to the outside of the building and I guess we're seeing that more and more in healthcare facilities about that civic presence or that community space that healthcare is becoming with you know community health centres and the proposals for community hospitals. I think there's so much in these projects there's such a richness of challenge and ideas to bring together in them I think it's a great challenge and something I really want to be a part of. Is there a project um, or an example um, that you could share that you've been working on together? We're working um, on the refurbishment redevelopment of um, Shepparton Hospital for Golden Valley Health and Department of Health Um, and so we're, we're doing the second stage of works there. So we're uh, working in a whole range of areas of the hospital, um, including upgrades to existing theatres and theatre support areas for staff, or um, we're doing the day of surgery um, or day surgery facilities. We're doing works in the maternity area, creating a new uh, special care nursery for them. We've got um, new CSSD, so sterilisation for all of the surgical facilities. Um, works, they've just done a new area of emergency department up there. So now we're upgrading all of the old emergency department facilities to become an integrated single emergency department. And there's also a lot of compliance works and upgrades that need to happen. Uh, one of the challenges of working on hospitals is that hospital buildings all tend to be linked together by walkways because understandably no one wants patients going from their ward outside through a drafty, maybe covered way and then into the imaging department. You actually need to have seamless transitions through covered walkways and buildings. But what that does is make a lot of challenges in compliance um, in terms of fire upgrades, um, safety, um, occupational health and safety, earthquake zones and things when you start upgrading one building it triggers a whole lot of work across the whole campus so we're working through that and also dealing with some issues around um, DDA compliance as well so yeah it's a big and complex project and Tanya 
you might want to explain what parts you've been working on. Um, primarily on ED and special care nursery. But I was just going to say um, one of the challenges that we have in health that's quite unique is that the infrastructure is um, is a huge investment and it also has to last many years, so up to 30 years. Um, and we can't shut down hospitals to redevelop them. So it has to work in within a master plan framework. So patients don't have to go 400 kilometres to the next closest hospital. Um, you build one a new building and then have a decanting process, refurb the old parts and then uh, work to integrate the new and old. Um, so then it all works seamlessly. It's, it's quite a challenge, yeah. Um, and it has to work for 30 years. We can't have issues where five or ten years down the track something doesn't work anymore um, because that affects patients and community health outcomes. If you could design any healthcare facility or any hospital, um, what would it be and where would it be? Um, like what would be in that sort of, um, yeah, space, hospital design space of the future? Our practice has, as we mentioned, spent a lot of time doing redevelopment and refurbishment at, at DIV um, and very busy hospital campuses. I guess the dream project everyone would like to do is to start from scratch, to find the new campus and actually apply all of the thinking and learning across the whole campus. At the moment, we have the projects we do are upgrading parts of campuses. But so you're walking through from effectively as you walk through the campus, you're walking from 2020 and you can walk back to 1990 and then back through to 2000. Like there's this whole transition. And I think having a much more integrated, the opportunity to work on an integrated campus and apply the thinking and get it right for what we expect now. So that I guess, and it's a dream, and it'll only last for probably five years and then someone will need something changed to upgrade something. But it would be, I guess, a career dream to be able to work on a a new a new hospital and actually do it from first principles right based on the evidence now for what we need and thinking towards the future rather than trying to adapt and make the best of what we can. If we look at Shepparton, we're not creating any new floor area in all of the works that we're doing. We're making the best of the available building shell space that we've got and we're getting some really great outcomes but we're also making compromises to make that happen. I would love to work on a children's hospital. I think that um, gives you a lot of opportunity for creativity that you might not necessarily have in um, a, a traditional hospital. As you can see at the, at the Melbourne Children's Hospital, it's, it's just beautiful, isn't it? So <laughs> would love to work on a children's hospital. I mean, I would love to design a hospital that's very connected to nature that uses the principles of biophilia because there's measurable benefit to um, allowing people um, views to the outside, having natural light and ventilation, um, you know, play areas and p playgrounds and things like that. That would be a dream. But also I think it would be a really, it would be very um, inspiring to be able to work with um, large tech technology companies to integrate 
um, best practice. We don't always have the investment to have the latest technology, but I think that that would really benefit patients. Um, Yeah, and I guess from my perspective, I'd really like to see, um, again, the biophilia that Tanya's talking about, but also really working with um, representatives of patients and patient families. There's been an increasing move towards that over recent years so that a lot of major hospitals have consumer advocates involved in the in the development process. But I feel like we've still got work to do in that space. Um, the way families are included and supported in that um, in the care journey of a loved one, I think is really important. Um, and it sits, it, I would like to see it holistically developed with clinicians and consumers working side by side to achieve that. Oftentimes it's two separate conversations and the architect is sort of trying to synthesise the ideas into one solution and then taking them back to one and then the other where I'd really like to see um, a consultation and design process that involves both working both groups working together with the architect and design team to make that happen because often it's the little small changes that would make a big difference but without actually talking them through together it's harder to achieve. Um, and I think, as mentioned, you know, the, the couch options at uh, the Royal Children's and Children's Hospitals generally are fantastic but there's a whole lot more that could happen, I think, to support families better um, through really trying times. And I think following on from Kath, um, we have such a diversity of families in Australia and being able to provide support to non-traditional families. You know, um, my family is Sri Lankan and we have a really big extended family who will visit. Um, and that's really important for people's recoveries to have that support from their family. So you know, designing spaces that allow for that sort of interaction. And um, do you have any um, thoughts or any advice for people who are just starting out um, in the industry? I think um, when I started, when I left uni, I had a really clear idea of where, what I thought I wanted to do. Um, But I think you should be open to as many different experiences as you can because, you don't know yet what you will fall in love with or become very passionate about. Um, so say yes to every opportunity. If someone asks you to do a project that might not seem very fun, you might actually develop a real keen interest in that in the future. Yeah, I, I think if I was starting again, I'd t- tell myself that I need to be um, really open to opportunities um, I think, as Tanya said, you don't always know what you'd like to do or where the excitement is until you actually experience it. So I think, one, being open to opportunities is really important. But, two, it is still important to have an idea about the type of career you want to have. You know, there's, I guess, a stereotypical idea of an architect being someone who designs and documents and does construction admin and is across all of these things when we're at university. But the reality is for many of us that we do part of that role and can provide immense value by doing one specific thing really well or a set of skills really well. doesn't mean you totally drop your skills in the other areas, but it means that you, the specialisation can give you 
a whole lot more opportunities. Um, and the third thing is to find out a way of working that works for you, whether that's part-time or remotely some of the time or, you know, design the career that you want as well as the buildings you want to work on. Wow, definitely um, some really nice thoughts to finish up on. Um, thank you both so, so much for your time. And, um, yeah, good luck with everything that happens in the healthcare sector. It's definitely um, a very interesting and very um, needed place to be working at the moment. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Great. Um, well, thank you, Tanya and Kath, for sharing your thoughts on healthcare design. I certainly learned a lot. Um, this is the last episode of the first mini series for 2020. Um, definitely isn't a 2020 as I thought it would be. Um, but one benefit is being being able to talk to so many people online. Um, definitely feel like the internet has. Um, expanded for me i'm sure it has for many others listening um thank you uh, for your support on instagram um and just generally listening and um giving me ideas for the development of this podcast um it's very much a grassroots podcast um and i've really enjoyed branching out and talking to people overseas which is something that will feature a little bit more um throughout the year Okay, um, I'll see you next mini-series.